Our Lord took a stand against sin, a stand against death, hell, and the grave. He took a stand on our behalf. He's going to come and stand as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, not the devil, not men, but Christ. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. Good times and bad, we Christians should determine to always be a blessing to our beloved Jesus Christ. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire, and thanks for joining us this time. Today, we're continuing the series, The One That Got Away from the Beautiful Song of Solomon. Now, today, we'll be picking up the story in the last verse of chapter 4, where we hear the Shulamites plea, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Now here the Shulamite talks about the north and south winds. A north wind is chilly. It's more adversarial than anything, chilling us to the bone. A south wind is more pleasant, like a balmy spring breeze. She's saying that no matter the circumstances, she was determined to be a blessing to her beloved. So let's go right to part two of the message, an hour of testimony. And you know what? You never experience the fullness of Jesus till every door and every room in your soul has had the lock removed and Jesus has been allowed into every room. But she leaves him out there and she tells us of her silly reasons for turning him away. Verse three, she says, you know, I hear you knocking and I see you out there, but I've taken off my robe. Must I really put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? excuses, excuses. You know, Jesus talked about those excuses. He said, he's talked about him holding a banquet, sending out messengers to invite people to the banquet. And all they hear is excuses. Well, I'd love to come, but I've married a wife. I cannot come. And I've bought me a cow. I cannot come. And I'm watching football. I cannot come. Oh, I'm sorry. That wasn't in there. I, I missed that. Or I had to go to the mall. I cannot come. Or, you know, life is just busy, Lord. I cannot open to you. Maybe when I'm old and gray and decrepit and sitting in some nursing home, then I'll let you in when there's nothing else to do in life. And only a fool says that. See, if you're looking for an excuse to shut Jesus out, the devil will give you 10 excuses in five minutes. Bottom line is this. You want him in your life, you will find a way to let him into your life. That's a fact. But this Shulamite turned him away. Turned him away. And so often it's our refusal to get out of our comfort zone. We're in our lazy boy. We don't want to fool with Christianity. It causes us to miss God. Or we don't want to get our feet dirty in the ministry of the Lord. I want to go out there and minister to all those people. I don't want to give my time. I don't want to give my strength. I'm busy. I've got a family. I've got bills to pay. So I'm not going to get my feet. Must I put my robe on again? Must I put my shoes on again? 
I don't want to be inconvenienced by God's call. So the Shulamite at this time, listen to me, she missed her chance at this time. Next, she tells of her sad reward for turning him away. Look what she says happened in verse 4. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. Now, let me help you with this one. One commentator puts this verse, my beloved thrust in his hand at the window because the door was locked. So he put his hand through the window, but in the margin of the companion Bible, the reading is suggested, quote, then my beloved withdrew his hand. I think that's closest to the fact. He's knocking. It's deadbolted his lock. She will not inconvenience herself to let him into her life. He withdraws his hand and he walks away. He's not like Solomon who grabbed her and forced her and coerced her and took her into his pavilion. This shepherd is more like our shepherd. He's a gentleman. He'll knock. But if any man hears my voice and uses his will to open the door, if he opens the door, I will come in. But if he doesn't open the door, I don't come in. If he will not open to the Lord Jesus when he knocks, if we will not open to the Lord Jesus when he knocks, you know what he does? He leaves us to ourselves. He says, okay, you know, I came knocking and here's what I've noticed. Years in the ministry, here's what I've noticed. The Lord comes knocking at very, very key times in our life. Knock, 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 knock. Because he sees what is down the road. He knows where we're going. Oh, I've seen this happen so many times with teenagers. Well, really, all ages. He comes knocking, and the door of our heart is dead bolted and locked, just like this woman had it, Shulamite. And he finally withdraws his hand, but the reason he was knocking is because you'll see in this person's life that not very far down the road, there was danger, there was trouble, there was heartache, there was pain. And you see that God was extending his grace to try to give an option to call them before they really went in a bad direction. He is a God of exquisite, perfect timing. He sees the whole picture, the end from the beginning. All we see is now. Many who don't respond to his knocking never realize that he withdrew way back along the way. And for me, that's a scary thought because the last thing I want the Lord doing is withdrawing because I kept the door locked. Okay? Suddenly it dawned on the Shulamite what she had just done. And she confesses, my heart began to pound for him. She's realizing her mistake. She is covered with shame. Fully aware of the enormity of her offense, she jumps out of bed and throws the door open. And look what it says in verse 5 and 6. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. She had put on a little bit of perfume to be appealing. My fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. She's second-guessing her decision. She's regretting that she turned him away. She says in verse 6, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. You see, when grace comes knocking... If grace is not received, grace goes on down the street and waits for another opportune moment, if you get another moment. 
Now, what to do, she thinks. He's gone. And she decided to give chase. You remember this story? It's in chapter 3. She said in verse 6, I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The Shulamite went out into the night throughout the darkened streets of the city in a frantic search for the shepherd she had turned away. She literally went out into the far eastern night. There weren't any streetlights back then, folks. No streetlights, no cop cars, no anything we're used to. And despite her desperate calling out, he still did not answer. He still did not answer. She could not find him. As a result of her search for the shepherd, she was injured. Now, this caught me in a way that it's never caught me, but I saw something here. It says in verse 7, remember those watchmen that found her, but something is added in chapter 5. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city, and look what happened to her. They beat me and they bruised me. And she was also insulted. It says in verse 7, they took away my cloak. Those watchmen of the walls, they took away my cloak. And the cloak was a sign of an honorable woman. They took away her cloak. Why? They thought she was a woman of the night. She's out there wandering around in the dark, alone, in a far eastern city. And these watchmen saw her and said, well, that's a prostitute. And they beat her and injured her and insulted her. So what is that saying, Pastor Jeff? The same thing that happened to her happened to the believer that gets out of touch with the Lord who goes astray. Listen to me, church. Let me tell you the truth. Because you're a child of God doesn't mean he keeps his hedge around you if you go astray. He will protect you for a while, but the day will come if you insist. See, she had not let him in. She was on her own out there looking for him now. The idea is a backslider is always in danger of being injured and insulted, hurt, damaged when they get out of the presence of the Lord and walk after their own will. I know that's strong, but I'm going to tell you the truth tonight. You say, well, God will protect me because I'm his child. He understands. No, the day will come. It's the same with a nation. When a nation walks away from God, when an individual walks away from God, God will give you time to repent, but if you don't, if you keep that door bolted and you keep him out and you go doing your own thing, the watchman of the night will find you and they'll injure you and you'll be insulted and you will lose your honor and you will lose your respect and you will lose a lot of things if you walk away from God. It opens you up to the enemy. Those watchmen are like the enemy here. It opens you up to the enemy when you expose yourself. It's a very, very serious thing to walk away from God. It really is. Very serious. So here she is. She gets beat up. She gets bruised. She's hurt. She became prey to the hostile influences that stalked the night. The Lord's hedge of protection was lifted. She ends her story with an exhortation to the court women. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Now, having been freshly shaken from recounting this dream she had, she exhorts these women who could have cared less. But she exhorts them to tell the shepherd of her longing for him should they see him. And they respond with mockery. Here it is, verse 9. 
How is your beloved better than others? Most beautiful of women. How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? He's not all that. They only said that because they didn't know him. They knew the phony. They knew the fake. They knew Solomon, not the shepherd. So don't expect the world to ever understand your love for the shepherd. They can't. Paul wrote, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The only person that can rejoice over your walk with the shepherd is somebody else who's walking with the shepherd. Amen? Now, the Shulamite now continues her discourse. She's not done. She's going to keep on witnessing, and she's going to now describe her beloved And my Lord, it's like we're looking at somebody on a front of GQ magazine. Verse 10, my beloved is white and ruddy. Now, who's she talking about? These women that could care less who are in love with Solomon. She says, let me tell you about my shepherd. He's white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. White is a symbol of purity and holiness. Ruddy speaks of glowing health. My shepherd, I'm hesitant to say this. My shepherd is hot. That's what she's saying. But there is symbolism here for us, okay? She goes on to say, his head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. Now, the head like gold speaks of sovereignty. The sovereignty of Christ is what the wise men had in mind when they brought gold to him, the royal gift. His black, wavy locks symbolize virility and vital force. It suggests a person in the prime of life. Then she mentions his eyes. His eyes, she says in verse 12, are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. As mentioned earlier in our study, remember, dove's eyes speak of the Holy Spirit. And here's what she's saying. The shepherd's eyes were filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that's what Jesus' eyes were like? You know, the Bible says he wasn't handsome. Isaiah, the prophet, said there's nothing about him that is beautiful physically. But I believe when Jesus looked at you, his eyes went straight through you. He read your soul at a glance. And no purer set of eyes ever gazed at you but the eyes of Jesus coming out of a man who had never known sin, who had never had broken relationship with God, who was pure, whose father was God, whose mother was earthly, but father was heavenly. And when he looked at you, I believe it was unforgettable. She said, his eyes are like dove's eyes. Next, she talks about her beloved's sweetness. She says in verse 13, his cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. What is all that? Spices and herbs are all about fragrance, like perfume. To be near the shepherd was to be enfolded in such sweet fragrance that it took your breath away. And his lips were like lilies, dripping myrrh. To me, I can't get away from what it says about Jesus Christ. No man ever spoke like this man. His lips dripped like myrrh. When Jesus talked, everybody listened. 
Whoever taught like Jesus? Whoever preached like Jesus? If you just open up Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and read the Sermon on the Mount, there is no philosopher in the history of the world that ever spoke words like Jesus did. His lips dripped myrrh. They were filled with the Word of God. He spoke, and it was God's pure, undiluted, unfiltered Word. His lips dripped with the myrrh of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and they still do. Then she mentions his hands. Verse 14, his hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. How many of you guys would love to be described this way? Come on, guys. Let me see your hands. Can you imagine a girlfriend of yours, if you're single, going off and saying, man, I'll tell you, I met this guy. His hands are like gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory. Come on, guys. <laughs> hands speak of skill. Think of Jesus' hands. He touched the sick, and they were healed. His hands broke the seven loaves and two fishes, and they multiplied. His hands fearlessly touched the forbidden leper. Nobody else would touch the leper, but Jesus did. Reached out and touched him when he said, do you want me whole? And he said, I will, and touched him. All of this with consummate skill. The hands of Jesus were the most coveted hands on earth when he was walking around on earth because to be touched by his hands was to be healed, delivered, blessed. He picked up the little children with his hands and said, of such is the kingdom of God. His hands were nailed to that cross for our redemption. And when he came out of the grave, his hands were held out in blessing. The hands of Jesus. Mm. Next, the Shulamite mentions the shepherd's legs and countenance. Verse 15, his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. Now in scripture, the legs speak of stability and strength. We talk of somebody taking a stand of courage and boldness. Now, let me tell you what it says about Jesus. When he returns, it says his feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives, and there his feet and legs are going to stand there when he returns to rule the earth. Our Lord took a stand against sin, a stand against the devil, a stand against death, hell, and the grave. He took a stand on our behalf, He's going to come and stand as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, not the devil, not men, but Christ and his legs. This was the shepherd, and it's our Savior, set on bases of fine gold. Again, speaks of his sovereignty. His countenance speaks of his splendor, as excellent of the cedars of Lebanon. These Lebanese cedars were renowned for their majesty, stateliness, and their beauty. And the writer is saying, as the cedars of Lebanon just bowl you over when you see them, so was the countenance of the shepherd. And finally, she talks about the shepherd's smile. His mouth, says verse 16, his mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Man, has she just witnessed or what? The Lord Jesus, let me tell you, was no remote, untouchable, cold, and impassive person. His face said, come unto me. I heard somebody say, there's two kinds of faces in the world. 
Faces that say no and faces that say yes. You have a no face, don't come near me. Or you have a yes face that says, get to know me. I'm approachable. And I want to get to know you. Jesus had a yes face. She said, oh, his smile is something. But the testimony is not quite finished. She's talked about her dream, has described the shepherd. Now she has a word about his departure. The court women are stunned with her description of the shepherd. So they ask her, well, then where is your beloved gone, fairest among women? Where is your beloved turned aside? Where is he that we can go and find him with you? You know what she discerned? Their request wasn't honest. They were insincere. They didn't want to know the shepherd. They were just so overwhelmed by what she said. Oh, sure, I'll go to Bible study with you. I'll go to church with you. But they didn't have any real longing for the shepherd. The Shulamite discerned this, and she realizes she'd been casting her pearls before swine. As Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, 6, they weren't really interested at all, so she gives them a very vague answer. Well, let me tell you where he is. My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. In other words, he's in a noble, good, and honorable place, and I know where to find him, and so do we. We know where our great shepherd can be found. He's in heaven at God's right hand, and he's leading his sheep. The Shulamite ends on a sad note. It's with the realization that not everyone that says they want to know our shepherd is sincere. These court women didn't want to really know him. And so we can describe him in all his glory, but it doesn't matter. If they don't want him, they don't want him. So she says in verse 3, I am my beloved's, and he's mine. I've got him. I know him. Whether or not you want to, he feeds his flock among the lilies, and you can know him if you want to. Well, that's it for this time, and I want to take a moment to thank all of our Life Talk listeners and supporters for your prayers and financial assistance. You know, we receive so many encouraging mails, text messages, and phone calls that just make our day. One couple just recently visited our church in Fort Worth, Texas, all the way from Indiana to tell me how much the Life Talk broadcast means to them. You know, Life Talk is all about ministering God's Word to as many people as we can possibly reach. And our reach is growing all the time. We're now broadcasting on approximately 530 radio stations in every state of the Union, as well as the Philippines. And our Internet broadcast has received responses from Russia, England, and other parts of the world. So thank you to all of our LifeTalk listeners and supporters. Together, we're blessing tens of thousands of people each and every day. Now, don't go anywhere. Our announcer has some exciting offers for you. And join me again next time for another exciting message from our life-changing series, The One That Got Away, taken from the Song of Solomon. Until then, may God richly bless you is my prayer. Now you can bring Pastor Jeff Wickwire and Life Talk right into your home, your car, or wherever you may be to lead you on the exciting journey of building up your Christian walk in faith, hope, and love. For a gift of any size to Life Talk, Pastor Jeff will send you a CD collection of some of his most anointed and inspiring teaching series. 
These CDs will strengthen your faith and build your understanding of what Christ Jesus did for you at the cross. You will begin to understand just how much our Heavenly Father loves you and the whole world. So call now, toll-free, 877-884-3111. Or just log on anytime, day or night, to lifetalk.tv. Listen to Pastor Jeff's hope-filled CDs again and again, or give them to family members or friends as a gift. Don't wait. Call 877-884-3111 right now, or log on anytime to lifetalk.tv and give your best gift today. An Hour of Testimony is the seventh message of Pastor Jeff's series, The One That Got Away. You can own a copy of this 10-CD set for just $50 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, The One That Got Away, for only $50 plus shipping. By logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.